Good morning, church family. How are y'all doing? Good. Um, thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us in person. Thanks for those who are joining us online. I don't know if I've shared with you before, but when I was growing up, two brothers, two sisters, there were five of us, our dad said, no guns, no guns in the house. And I didn't miss that. No BB guns, no any guns. We just didn't have guns. And, but I didn't grow up with guns, so I've, I've never been hunting. Shortly after I moved here, Tommy Beaver asked me, he said, hey, Richie, you want to go hunting? And I'm like, I've, I've never been hunting. He said, let's go. Like I know anything about hunting. So Tommy and I went hunting, and finally this large buck appeared. I know enough about hunting to know a large buck. And Tommy and I were so excited that we shot at the same time. Bam, bam. And that buck went down, and I said, I got him. <laughs> Tommy said, Richie, I got him. <laughs> I said, Tommy, I, I, I got him. Richie, come on. I got him. And we went back and forth. I got him. No, I got him. No, I got him. To the point that finally the game warden showed up. I said, what are you guys fussing about? So we told him what was going on, and I said, I got him. He said, Tommy, Richie, I got him. And the game warden said, just hold on a minute. So the game warden went over and looked at the buck and looked all around the buck and raised it up and looked at it and put it down and came back and said, is one of you guys a preacher? And I said, I, I am. And he said, you shot the buck. <laughs> Tommy wasn't real excited about that and said, how do you know he shot the buck? He said, because it went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> I tell you that story for a reason. It's not a true story. I realize many times when I preach that it goes in one ear and out the other. And I realize, depending on the subject matter, it may go in one ear and out the other. And I, I know that when I start preaching certain subjects, one is grace, the other is assurance. There's people that aren't listening and it goes in one ear and out the other. I tell you that because we just sang a song and we're in a series we're calling Blessed Assurance. And I know there are a lot of Christians who struggle with assurance to the point that sometimes it just goes in one ear and out the other. But we're in a series from 1 John. It's the 23rd book of the New Testament. So if you go to the last book, Revelation, and count about five books back, you're going to see 1 John. It's a short book. It's not a long book. It's 105 verses. Maybe you went home and read it last week. You can certainly read it in a short period of time. It was written by John to inform his readers of some things. Because he wanted them to know some things. And here's our main verse from chapter 5. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. So I'm pushing 64 next month and been in the church a long time. And I can tell you, I, I know that there are still lots of Christians who don't know about their salvation. And John said, I'm, I'm going to write this letter so that you will know. So that you will know. So if you're wrestling with your salvation, this letter is for you. If you have 
doubts regarding your salvation, this series is for you. If you're not sure if you're saved, then you need to hang with us over the next several weeks because John uses the word know or knowledge or acknowledge 40 times. He writes to inform. He writes so that we can know because when we know we're saved, we live boldly. And that's what he wants us to do. Last week we said you need to know Jesus Christ because when you know Jesus, you can have assurance. And you need to know that you have salvation. And when you know Jesus and know that you have salvation, you can have assurance and you can live boldly. So I told you my lesson plan last week, it's not going to change week after week after week. I want you to know and John wants you to know and God wants you to know that you are saved, that you have salvation. That's why he writes, he says he wants us to live boldly and live with confidence. So if you weren't here last week, go back and listen to the lesson online. And I rattled off 8 or 10 or 12 verses throughout the New Testament that talk about confidence and assurance and knowing. And you need to memorize those so that when you begin to struggle and you begin to have doubt, you can rattle those verses off and have that assurance. So let me give you a little more introductory Uh, information that we didn't get into last week to help us better understand why this book was written. So when this book was written in the first century, there were a group of people called the Gnostics. Obviously, they practiced Gnosticism. If you cut that off, Gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, that's the Greek word Gnosis, which means to know. To know. That's all that word means. And this group of people claimed to have more knowledge to know more, especially knowledge about salvation, what it means to be saved, what you need to know to be saved. And they went around proclaiming that they had this knowledge and you didn't have this knowledge. And if you would just know what they knew, Gnosticism. Now, they would make the Christians believe and a lot of other people, and it still exists today, that I guess we just don't know enough to be saved. I guess we just don't know the right things. And that scares me a little bit, and it should scare us a little bit, because in the churches of Christ, we should completely understand Gnosticism, because for years and years, at least where I grew up and how I grew up, it's not just churches of Christ. I'm just saying we we ought to pay attention here, because we've always claimed to have the knowledge. We know. And you don't know. And if you would just know what we know. And I can't believe you don't know what we know. It's so plain and simple. You should know this. To the point that the Gnostics were stirring up trouble. Which ought to scare us a little bit. Because if we start acting that way, that we've got the knowledge. We've got it and you don't. We've got it and I don't know why you don't have it. That ought to concern us a little bit. So John writes, and again, 40 times, here's what we know, 40 times, and he says, we have everything we know to be saved. You have everything you know to be saved, and everything that you need to know is in Jesus Christ. So here's what he writes, that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we have looked at, that which our hands have touched... This we proclaim concerning the word of life, the life appeared. 
We've seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. That which was from the beginning. Almost as if to say, if, if there was a beginning... If we can even fathom a beginning, if we can wrap our hands around a beginning, the Word was there. Jesus was there. In Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. That wasn't the beginning of God. That wasn't the beginning of Jesus. It was the beginning of creation, but it wasn't the beginning of God or of Jesus. So here's what John is saying. Here's what I think he's saying. In our finite minds of trying to grasp a starting point, if you will, if, if there was a beginning, here's where it all started. John says, it all started with Jesus. It always starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. Everything in the middle ought to be about Jesus. But I think it's even more defined than that. I think John's talking about the beginning for them, the beginning of the preaching of the gospel, the beginning of the good news. I say that because here's what he writes. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you've had since the beginning. I don't think he's going back to creation beginning. See that what you heard from the beginning remains in you. So these listeners had a beginning with Jesus. Whenever Jesus was preached to them, that was their beginning. Whenever they heard the good news, that was their beginning. When you started hearing about Jesus, that was your beginning. That's the beginning he's talking about. So when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to what you have heard, when it comes to what you need to know, you have everything you need in Jesus, period. Regardless of what Gnostics may tell you, regardless of what someone else may tell you, okay, you have Jesus, but here's some other stuff that you need to know. No, you need to know Jesus. I'm going to say, period. When you stand before God... You need to know Jesus. That's where it starts. John says, this is first-hand testimony. This is first-hand testimony. He said, we heard Jesus, we saw Jesus, we looked at Jesus, we touched Jesus, we ran around with Jesus, we ate with Jesus. And he says, we testify to that. So he wants us to know that we have everything we need to know because God revealed himself. God revealed what we needed to know and who we needed to know, and that's Jesus. He said in verse 2, that life appeared. He's talking about Jesus. That word means manifested. That word means made known. God made Jesus known, and that's what we need to know. John says, we had a personal encounter with Jesus. We saw him, touched him, ate with him. We have firsthand. And here's what he says. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's an interesting word that we're going to spend a couple weeks on. John says, when it comes to assurance of your salvation, here's one of the first things you need to know. And you're going to hear me say this about a dozen times today. God wants to have fellowship with you. God wants to be in relationship with you. God wants to have fellowship with you. Here's how Paul writes. He says, God, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, 
our Lord is faithful. God has called us into fellowship. God wants to have fellowship. I can't think of anything more encouraging for us to hear today, for you to hear, for me to hear, for us to know. I want you to hear that God wants to be in relationship with you. Regardless of what someone else has told you, regardless of how you might beat yourself up, regardless of if you think you're a horrible person, no, God would never want to have a relationship with me. God wants to be in relationship with you and have fellowship with you. Now, let me say this another way. Let me give you a different perspective. I don't think God's main goal has ever been salvation. I think God's main goal has always been to have fellowship and be in relationship with His creation. To do that, He provided salvation. God sent Jesus to provide salvation so that we could be in relationship with Him. So that we could have fellowship with Him. Yes, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but He paid our sin debt so that we could have fellowship with God. I think that's what the word reconciliation means in the New Testament. When two people are reconciled, their relationship is restored. When two people are reconciled, that fellowship is restored. Again, here's what Paul writes. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Now... Again, God wants to have fellowship with you. I'm going to drill that in your head today. I want you to remember that. God wants to be in relationship with you. That's what John writes. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. God wants to have fellowship with us, and because of Jesus, and in Jesus, and through Jesus, we can have that fellowship. So John wants us to know in these first four or five verses, listen, Jesus is the real deal. Jesus is the complete package. Jesus is everything that you need to know. And like we said last week, you need to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And if Jesus Christ is the Son of God, which He is, then we should respond appropriately. I mean, you're going to respond somehow, either for or against, but we need to respond which simply means we need to do what Jesus says. We need to be obedient to Jesus. What does it mean to have fellowship with God? Well, it means we live with assurance. We live in assurance. We trust God. We lean on God. We give our lives to God. Well, Richie, I sin every day. Yep, we all do. Well, Richie, I I got some big sins. Yeah, we all do. God wants to have fellowship with us. Doesn't matter what your sin is. Doesn't matter how many times you've sinned. God does not want to be distant from you. God doesn't want you to be distant from Him. God wants to have fellowship with us. How badly does God want to have fellowship with us? He sent His Son to take care of the sin problem. That's how badly God wants to have fellowship. Now, let me say just because we're in this text, when it comes to fellowship, Jesus came to include and not exclude. Jesus did not come to draw lines of fellowship. Jesus came to remove lines of fellowship. Let me say it another way. You know what determines whether we have fellowship with other people? Jesus. 
If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we can have fellowship. If you deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we got problems. And John's going to talk about that in this letter. We might have differences, we might have disagreements, but at the core of our fellowship is Jesus Christ. Now, just because we're in the text and talking about fellowship, we're going to talk about it more next week, I think many churches, including ours, have spent way too much time drawing lines of fellowship. I mean, you don't even have to get out of Churches of Christ to see that. When I was growing up in western Oklahoma, oh, you have a gym? I'm drawing a line of fellowship. You have a kitchen? Drawing a line of fellowship. Your church supports children's homes? We're going to draw a line of fellowship. Instrumental music? Drawing a line of fellowship. Role of women? Draw a line of fellowship. We're all about drawing lines of fellowship. If it makes you feel any better, the religious folks in Jesus' day drew lines of fellowship. They saw Jesus talking to a Samaritan, drew a line of fellowship. They saw him talking to Zacchaeus, drew a line of fellowship with Jesus. Saw him talking to a prostitute, drew a line of fellowship with Jesus. Did you see his 12 disciples? Did you see who he chose? Draw a line of fellowship. Again... I think we sometimes seem to be more interested in excluding people instead of including. And if God sent His Son to save the entire world, I read the New Testament that God's interested in including people in salvation and not excluding people in salvation. Now, again, Jesus didn't come to exclude. Jesus came to include. So maybe it's time we start looking for more ways to include people in fellowship. Maybe we start spending more time looking for people to include. Now, that opening illustration that goes through one ear out the other. Listen, folks, people need the Lord. And the Lord wants to have fellowship with His creation. And that's what John is talking about here in chapter 1, and we'll see in chapter 2. How do I know that I'm in fellowship with God? If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Now, John says, how's your walk? Not your talk. How's your walk? He says, I'm stuck. Joy, can you move me forward, please? No? Thank you. Okay. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His Son purifies us from all sin. Listen, God's not looking for perfection. God is looking for progress. So, John says, when we're in fellowship with God, our lives should back up what our lips are saying. Now, again, let me show you what he says in verse 4. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. We're writing this to bring you joy. We're writing this so that when we understand, and you understand, and I understand that God wants to have fellowship with us, that ought to bring us joy. 
And when God wants to include everybody in fellowship and in salvation, that ought to bring us joy. So, again, how many times, at least a dozen times, I've said today, God wants to have fellowship with you. Now, the question is, God did what was necessary to have fellowship with us. Are you doing what is necessary in response to God? Let me tell you a love story. It's God's love story. It's your love story. It's our love story. It's my love story. To describe our relationship with God, we've got to go all the way back to a beginning. In the beginning, God created, and in the beginning, sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, you need to understand, I think you understand, y'all are intelligent folks, when sin entered the world, it separated us from God. It separated our relationship with God. Sin separates our fellowship with God. So, God didn't stop loving us. In fact, God continued to pursue us, and God put into motion His love, and God put into motion what was necessary to restore that fellowship. So way before you were ever born and I was ever born, God was pursuing us, loving us, pursuing us, because the Bible's just the story of God who constantly pursues His people because He wants them to have assurance. God wants to be in relationship with us. And John wants us to know, and we're going to see over and over and over, that God is love, and that God loves us, and that God has been pursuing us, and God wants to have fellowship with us. And so he says, dear friends, let us love one another, because love comes from God, and God is love. That's his DNA. That's who he is. God is love. So let me use some really good grammar here. God can't not love. I think it's Ortberg that writes, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. God loves. And when you finally grasp, when we finally grasp how much God loves us, you have to respond. You have to respond to God. So again, God is serious about being in relationship with us. God is serious about fellowship with us. The question is, how serious are you about being in relationship with God? How serious are you about being in relationship and in fellowship with God? So again, we're going to talk more about fellowship next week. And to talk about fellowship, we have to talk about sin. Because he writes, If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. So maybe you need to ask yourself, I'll ask you, are you living in darkness? Are you living in disobedience? Are you living in rebellion against God? Because we can't live in darkness and live in rebellion and be turning away from God and claim to have fellowship with Him. But we'll talk about that more next week. But John says, if you're walking in darkness, you need to repent of your sins. He talks about acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If you've never acknowledged Jesus Christ as the Son of God, I want to encourage you to do that. If you're walking in darkness, I want to encourage you to stop doing that so that you can have fellowship with God. Let's pray.